Could you please turn with me to Psalm 23? Psalm 23, yes, that one. That one. We are in a series called, week two of a series called Summer in the Psalms. Now, I am thinking of renaming it uh, something like warm, overcast, and humid in the Psalms, because it's not really summer right now, but uh, hopefully things will get better. We had one good good day this week, did we not? And we're in Psalm 23, arguably uh, the most well-known psalm, and arguably also one of the three most well-known scriptures of all time, along with John 3.16 and... Uh, Matthew 7, 1, judge not lest you be judged. I think a lot of people know that one. Very popular and taken out of uh, context. This is a simple and yet very rich psalm. It is well known and yet I think because it is so well known, it is very easy to gloss over the truths of what's happening in this psalm. We're going to read it. We're going to walk through it line by line. And we're going to consider it from three different angles. And I trust it will encourage all of our hearts this morning as we consider the fact that the Lord is our shepherd. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word to us. couple preliminaries. The Lord is my shepherd. Who is speaking? It is David. It says that in the first line. It's the psalm of David. David is the author. King David. And it's interesting to note, unlike many other psalms, David's not asking anything. He's not praying. He's not lamenting. He's not telling a story. He's not reflecting on recent events. He's simply stating truths about God. This is a psalm about what God does for his people. It is a psalm of privilege. What does God give to his people? Also a very personal psalm. David doesn't say the Lord is a shepherd, because even the devil could say that. He says the Lord is my shepherd, and that makes it very, very personal. Not to be an English English teacher, but there are 27 first-person pronouns in this psalm. It is a very, very personal psalm. 
And we can read it today and see God's blessings for us as a Christian. It's got two main themes in the psalm. They are shepherding and hospitality. And we could say instead, protection and provision. Those are the themes, protection and provision. There's a psalm about David bragging about his God. God is a covenant-keeping God, like a king who protects and provides for those under his rule. That is the picture here. And I know not many of us here have grown up on farms, and all of our farmers are away today, but we can all identify to some degree with what is being said here. None of us could imagine, I'm sure, a shepherd who does not care for his sheep. It's a rich metaphor. Shepherds, by their very job description, care. They care for their sheep. God has no issues at all being compared to a shepherd. It's a theme constantly found throughout Scripture, specifically in in the Old Testament. Most explicitly, and you can read this in your own time, Ezekiel chapter 34, God is the great shepherd, the Lord who will protect his people of Israel and bring them into a land of blessing, a future prophecy. And that is God as a shepherd. But I want us to consider something slightly scandalous. The the popular nature of the psalm means we, we gloss over this point. Think about who is talking. Who is writing this? David. David writes this, that the Lord is my shepherd. David himself, we remember, was the shepherd boy who was anointed king and then sent in to fight Goliath. We just looked at that passage in 1 Samuel 17. David was the shepherd who became a king. And it's easy for us to to think about someone who's very powerful. Can you imagine right here this morning? powerful person on earth, perhaps the president of America, the head of the United Nations, the the president of Russia or China. I'm not sure what the correct answer is anymore, but consider someone very powerful, the most powerful person on earth. They have power, they have wealth, they have fame. Almost everything they say gets done. That was David. That was David at this time, the king of Israel, the commander of the Lord's army. He was the most powerful person on earth. He went from humble beginnings as a shepherd boy, the youngest son of Jesse, and then he became king. And even in his place of power, he still said, the Lord is my shepherd. It is a scandalous statement if you think about it. Kings and people in power don't usually demonstrate such humility. The Lord is my shepherd. Even in his prosperity and his place of power, David does not forget the truths of words like James 1.18. 
I know it's a New Testament text, but it's true throughout Scripture. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. David believed that. Everything he had had been given to him by God. There was no sense of the fact that David has forgotten about where his hope comes from. So let's get moving. He says, I shall not want. I shall not be concerned for my provision or for my protection. Why? Because God will provide it. Not just any God, my God. He's mine. I belong to him. He is mine. This gives echoes of Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus tells his disciples, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about food and clothing and shelter. God will provide. I shall not want. The shepherding metaphor then starts coming up. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. For sheep, this was a place to live and food in that green pasture. All of, pretty much all of provision, a place to live and food to eat. And the pastures are green. This is language of abundance. We're not talking about a seasonal provision. Sometimes there's green pastures and sometimes there's desert and drought. It says, no, green pastures. God will provide for my needs 24-7, 365. He leads me beside still waters. I'm told that sheep don't like to drink from water that is flowing too fast. They just don't. They can't handle raging water. They don't like white water and currents. Still waters, there's gentle water flowing by. Peace. Gentle water that can be drunk. God leads me to this place of abundance. He restores my soul. Literally, he renews my soul. He heals my soul. He makes my soul recover. Remember C.S. Lewis said, you are not a, a body who has a soul. You are a soul who has a body. We are a soul and a God restores our soul, our center of being. There's a lesson in there, especially as summer comes up, especially as December gets here. I know the country shuts down, and I, I, I love that. I've learned to love it as well. It's, everything gets a little bit more laid back. Rest is a good thing. But a holiday doesn't ultimately restore the soul. God does. God my shepherd restores my soul. God renews me. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Simply, the guidance of God is always away from harm and danger. Through his word, through his commands, through his Holy Spirit, God guides us and leads us. God is a good God, and every time he says no, he is leading us away from harm and towards life, towards righteousness for our good. 
That is why the Lord is our shepherd. He cares. Every time God says no, it is not because God hates our joy, but it is for our joy. And then this well-known line, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. This is an enduring picture. A picture of a shepherd leading his sheep and death is all around. The threat of death is always there. David was well acquainted with, with death. As a shepherd, as a warrior, as a king, he fled from Saul who tried to kill him. He fled from those close to him who tried to kill him. He fled from Absalom, his son, who tried to kill him. His own son that he had with Bathsheba in adultery died in infancy. David understood death well. Death was all around him. And we've got to ask the question, why are we talking about death and this valley of the shadow of death when we've just been talking about green pastures and still waters? This is such a contrast. Why? I thought God made everything good. I thought there was green pastures and still waters and restored still. Why are you now talking about the valley of the shadow of death? Well, yes, God does provide. There is provision. There is green pastures and still waters. But as a good friend of mine says, all of life takes place in the valley of the shadow of death. All of it. God is an ever present help in times of constant trouble. The picture we are to grasp, I believe, from the psalm is that the green pastures and the still waters have on the outside the valley of the shadow of death. The death is always there. It is always threatening. It is always looking over. You look out from your provision and you see outside there's ever threats around. The threats are never completely removed. But it is only a, a shadow of death. David understood and he knew that death was not the final state. He knew that. There was an expectation of a new creation, a new kingdom, eternal life. And therefore he was able to say, I will fear no evil in verse 4. I will fear no evil. Let's grasp the nuance of this. David is not saying that nothing bad will ever happen. You don't say, I will fear no evil because everything is going to be perfect now and easy and the threats have been removed entirely. No, they're always there. They're always there. He says, I will fear no evil because I have God's presence even amidst the threat of death. For you are with me, the presence of God. 
God is not a God who is just out there, who creates the world, kickstarts it, and lets it go, and then stands back and watches from a distance. God is an ever-present help in times of trouble. God is the God who reaches down, who grabs, who saves, who disciplines, who helps. He protects, he provides, he is a shepherd. And he provides hospitality, all that we need. Therefore, David is able to say, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. God is there always. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me at the end of verse 4. You might notice uh, some European kings from time to time. They still have those over there, kings and queens. They might have a, a scepter and a mace. Very similar language. A rod and a staff. The rod was a club for correction and protection. And the staff was a hook. A hooked stick for care and protection. Sheep are liable to fall into water and fall into mud and get themselves into danger. The, the staff would be used to grab them gently around the neck and pull them out of danger. The rod and the staff, correction, protection. And they're a comfort because we, like sheep, and David is included in this. David was very much a... A fallen man. We are prone to be our own worst enemies. And we need God to protect and correct. But God does not give us what we deserve. And the theme then jumps in verse 5. It changes from, from shepherding. And then it moves on more to hospitality. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Have you thought about what that means? A table in the presence of my enemies. It is an amazing picture. You lay for me a banquet in the midst of a battlefield. That's an amazing picture, is it not? You give me a banquet amidst my enemies. It complements that previous picture of green pastures amidst the threat of the shadow of the valley of death. Let's remember what it means also in its original context. David was a king in the, the land of Canaan, which we explored when we looked at David and Goliath. A promised land, a, a land of milk and honey surrounded on all sides by people like the Philistines. Israel was always surrounded by its enemies. A table in the midst of enemies. Hostile people, hostile circumstances everywhere. And yet the care of God still exists very personally in David's life, in Israel's life, in the believer's life. I think it's a wonderful picture. We do not need things to be going 
well. We do not need ease. We do not need a lack of enemies. We do not need easy circumstances to experience God's blessing. God's blessing comes to us even when circumstances are difficult. That's helpful because it's realistic. You anoint my head with oil, David says. We see this a lot in the in the New Testament. Jesus going to houses, and specifically we see in, in Luke 7 where Simon the Pharisee does not give Jesus any oil. House guests were welcomed with anointing oils. I'm not sure whether that's something you want to start up uh, this summer, but we see this often throughout Scripture. You anoint my head with oil. You welcome me in. You provide not only the things that I need, but you also provide me with nice-to-haves. God, you're a God of abundance. My cup overflows. The picture of a, a wine cup overflowing. God provides not just for our needs scarcely, but abundantly. It overflows. It's a statement of worship. I know it's not language we use in this day and age, but can you imagine saying that? My cup overflows. I've been given so much more than I need. Thank you. It's a statement of worship. In the midst of hostile circumstances, hostile people, the threat of death, suffering, losing children, David has joy because the Lord is his shepherd. And as a result, he is able to say, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. How is it possible for David to say something like that? He says, surely, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. He says, with absolute confidence, God will show me goodness and mercy as long as I live. Absolute confidence. Two reasons David is able to say this. Firstly, because God has blessed him. He's given him green pastures. He's provided him a place to stay. He's provided him food and water. He's given him abundance. He's prepared a table in the midst of his enemies. God has provided. But secondly, because God has promised, and God keeps his promises. You can look in 2 Samuel 7, for example. You don't have to turn there now. Of The covenant God made with David, that one from his throne would reign forever, that Christ would come from his line, the Davidic covenant. Under the Mosaic covenant, he would have been told that I will be your God and you will be my people. You will live long in the land. David takes confidence for the future from God's works in the past and in the present. And there's a lesson there for us. We can have future confidence that goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life because of what God has done for us in the past and in the present. He's a promise-keeping God. You and me are prone to having bad days. You're prone to having bad weeks. Maybe you're prone to having bad months and bad years where things just aren't going well and where our mood's perhaps not right and you're grumpy and you're just not as giving and gracious as you ought to be. God doesn't change. 
He doesn't. If he promises blessing, it will come. Not feeble like us. And he finishes by saying, And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This line has got two sides to it. The first is that it's referring to the temple, the place of sacrifices and worship. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will constantly be there to worship my God, to offer sacrifices for sins, to live a life pleasing to you, to anticipate this coming Messiah who's pictured in these sacrifices in your temple. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It will be a sanctuary for me. But it also looks beyond that, that one day that faith will become sight And David looks forward to eternally being with God in this new creation. Charles Spurgeon said, the great preacher, that the psalm begins on land with green pastures and like a bird begins flying up and up and up with joy until it reaches heaven at its end. It builds and builds and builds. God's blessings increase and increase and increase for all eternity. The Lord is my shepherd. Now I said we're going to look at the psalm from three different angles. We've done that from one angle. This was the psalm for David. He wrote it. It had a direct context for him and for the people of Israel. The Lord is my shepherd, David said. This is true. All that is written is truth that David held dear. But it was also a psalm for Christ. Jesus grew up and knew the psalm. Jesus, in the synagogue, if they had Sunday school, or Saturday school at the time, we should call it, would have been taught Psalm 23. Jesus grew up. He knew the psalm. We see all throughout the New Testament that Jesus quotes psalms often. Jesus did the will of the Father. He trusted in the protection and provision of his Father. Jesus, just like David, said, The Lord is my shepherd. He entered into the world and became a man. And Jesus, we are told, is the good shepherd. This connects Jesus directly into the psalm. In John 10, verse 14, Jesus says, I'm going to read about five verses from John 10. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. 
In two short weeks, we will celebrate Christmas. Hopefully there are no Grinches in this room that think we shouldn't celebrate Christmas. Come on, one Sunday of the year, let's celebrate the incarnation of Christ. Jesus coming into the world, the Son of God lowering himself to become a man, taking upon human flesh. He received a charge from his Father. Jesus came into this world to die. The good shepherd, Jesus says, lays down his life for his sheep. He did this to save them. As I looked over the psalm, I'm asking myself the question, where is Christ in all of this? I understand that Jesus is the good shepherd. But let's think about what this psalm meant to Jesus. He had this perfect communion with his father all the days of his life. He would have read this. He would have memorized that he knew Psalm 23 off by heart. The Lord is my shepherd. He knew that. But let's consider what happened at the cross. At the cross, the Father turned his face away. The green pasture vanished. For Jesus, the still waters turned into a raging river. His soul was anguished, not restored. There was no comfort of a rod and a staff for him. Jesus' cup overflowed not with abundance, but with wrath. And we know Jesus' words, let this cup pass from me. Instead of being given a banqueting table amidst his enemies, Jesus was instead placed on a cross amidst his enemies. And his enemies came in to kill him. Instead of his head being anointed with oil, he received a crown of thorns. Instead of being able to say with David, instead of being able to say to his father, I will fear no evil for you are with me. The skies went black and the Father turned his face away and Jesus cried out the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The valley of the shadow of death closed in and Jesus Christ was crushed by the Lord who until then had given him only protection and provision. Why? So that we might be forgiven. So that we might be brought into this flock of God. So that by faith, we might be able to say, the Lord is my shepherd. Let me make this very, very clear. Jesus, for a few days, gave up the privileges and the blessings that we read about here in Psalm 23 so that we might be able to experience them ourselves.
If you find it an encouragement to say, the Lord is my shepherd, imagine the perfect man, Jesus Christ, who'd never known anything except for close communion with his Father. If you value being able to say, God will protect and provide for me, can you imagine how how much anguish Christ must have experienced when he knew that God was not there for him? Jesus gave up the privilege and the blessings that we read about in Psalm 23 that we might experience them ourselves. Thankfully, God vindicated Christ and his sacrifice, raised him up on the third day. The good shepherd is Jesus, and he is now seated at the right hand of God, at the right hand of the Father, and he ensures our protection and provision. He is our great high priest who brings us near to God. He is our prophet who speaks truth and speaks the words of life, and he is our king because we rule under his reign. He is our King. We must be able to ask ourselves the question, what does the psalm then mean for us? Well, essentially everything it meant for David. With a greater understanding of how the Lord has become our shepherd. If you look on the other side of Psalm 23, at Psalm 22 in your Bible, it starts off with the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Commonly called a messianic psalm. This is the psalm of prediction of Jesus Christ suffering on the cross. Then we read Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. And then in Psalm 24, Who is the King of glory? There's something to that ordering. There's something to that. Jesus is the shepherd king. The one who provides and protects. Who rules, who reigns. Who gave his own body to be broken. That he might rule and reign and care for his sheep. Two things we must always ask of someone who promises us blessing and provision and protection. Is he able and is he willing? Is Jesus able? Yes. He is the creator of this world. He is the sustainer of the world. He is the son of God who became like us that he might save us and be our good shepherd. Yes, he is able. And is he willing? Is he willing to protect for us and provide for us? Is he willing to be our shepherd? Absolutely. He laid down his life 2,000 years ago. The good shepherd laid down his life for his sheep. Therefore, we can apply this directly to us. The Lord is my shepherd. He is my protector. He is my provider. And he is my king, the king of glory. I want us to finish by reading most of Ephesians chapter 1. We'll start in verse 3. 
in light of the cross, what are the blessings, what are the spiritual blessings which have been brought to us by our shepherd, Jesus Christ? Here they are. Verse 3 of Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to become to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is God's word. This is what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. I know I don't often say this, but it's like, how do we apply this? What's the application? One, be thankful, right? Be thankful. And secondly, stir one another up, all of us. Stir one another up in gratitude for what God has done. Read it. It leads me beside greed pastures. He makes a table for me in the presence of my enemies. It leads me beside still waters and paths of righteousness. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. My cup overflows. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I will fear no evil. Apply those directly to yourselves. Apply those directly to one another. This is what God has done. Let's pray.